You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee. I'm your host, Mark. With me, as always, is Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not too bad. How about you? Good, good. You know, I keep on all the audio commentaries, I keep saying that we'll see you on Tuesday. But what I really mean is I'll see you on Tuesday because these don't come out until Thursday. Uh, that's correct. <laughs> so uh, straight to the news today. Um, first uh, piece of news. I don't know if you've heard about this or not, but Disney, uh, you know, with all their live action things that they've been doing now, they're doing a live action adaptation of a Cruella DeVille movie. It looks like it's going to be tangentially related to 101 Dalmatians, but star Emma Stone as Cruella DeVille, which I can kind of see. But uh, this project, I, I guess, from what I've, what I've been uh, hearing, first began back in 2013, <clears throat> when her star wouldn't have been quite as big as it is now. And uh, it's gone through several screenwriters. The first person to write on it was uh, uh, Eileen uh, Brosh McKenna, who did um, The Devil Wears Prada. Then they got Kelly uh, Marcel, who did Fifty Shades of Grey, which is not a good sign. <laughs> and then uh, they did Jez, but and then they got Jez Butterworth, who did Edge of Tomorrow, that Tom Hanks or Tom uh, Cruise movie. And uh, but they've got a director now because I guess they're fast tracking this project. Uh, the director of I Tanya Craig uh, Gillespie, uh, um, Gillespie is. Uh, is going to direct the movie, and it's still going to star Emma Stone. I think they want to fast-track it because she's got so many projects coming up, especially Zombieland 2. I assume she's kind of getting restless. Do you have any interest at all in seeing a Cruella DeVille movie? None whatsoever. I hope it fails in bankrupt studio. <laughs> well, it's Disney, so I think that would be difficult to bankrupt them. I hope it does. <laughs> but, uh, God, how many billions of dollars did they have to spend on the movie in order for it to bankrupt them? But, uh, yeah, I am not super into all the live-action remake things that Disney is doing. I saw The Jungle Book. It was, uh, eh. Um, I'm not super excited for The Lion King. The Lion King live... Quote-unquote live-action. It's It's computer generated uh graphics they're not actual animals but uh yeah i'm not uh, i'm not super excited for this either uh, emma stone certainly has big enough eyes to play a cartoon character though <laughs> um uh, that's that's the lady who was in super bad right yeah that's right yeah um whatever bought at the end of super bad <laughs> Is when she goes off with like Seth Rogen's character, she just looks like she couldn't have any less interest in him. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's all right. I'll fuck you. My friend likes your friend. <laughs> oh, yes. And now she's won an Academy Award. For Superman? No, for um, La La Land. 
Oh, yeah, that uh, looked dumb. I'm not going to see that. <laughs> That's like your um, motto of the show. <laughs> that looks dumb. I'm not going to see it. Yeah, and I never regret not seeing any of these movies either. Oh, um, do you? Are you a fan? I don't even know. Are you a fan of the James Bond movies at all? Not a lot. I mean, there's maybe like three or four good ones that I've seen. Um, I like the uh, Casino Royale with Daniel Craig. That was okay. Mm-hmm. Golden Eye was pretty good. Tomorrow Never Dies was all right. Actually, I like Tomorrow Never Dies. Then every other one I've seen hasn't been that good. Though I did see like Goldfinger. I thought that was pretty okay. They um they're doing uh I think it's just going to be called Bond Twenty Five. Um, it's the twenty fifth film that they that they're making, but uh, it'll be Daniel Craig's last um last ro- or last turn as as James Bond. He's done. He's been James Bond longer than anyone in uh, the history, which. Is kind of crazy. He, he doesn't. He hasn't done like, as many movies, but as far as years go, yeah, that's why I figured because I, I don't think he's been in a ton of them, and it seems like they just take like forever to put one out now. Yeah, I think this will be his fourth, I believe. Casino Royale, I, Skyfall, um, that Quantum Spectra. of Solace. Oh yeah, it might be his fifth. Spe- yeah, Spectre, fifth. Quantum of Solace, and in, uh, in this one. Oh yeah, Spectre. But um, he. Uh, Apparently, our our old friend uh, Carrie uh, Fukunura is um, directing this movie, and uh, people were talking about. Uh, I guess there were some rumors going around saying that uh, because this is supposed to begin filming very soon, it's supposed to come out, I believe, next year, and um, there were some rumors going around, and he uh, that um, you know certain people weren't going to show up, uh, you know, other. Um, other characters uh, from from the previous movies because this is supposed to kind of wrap up the story arc they started with Casino Royale and Carrie Fuk- Fukunora um, or f- whatever f- Fukunanga he um, he said uh, I don't know where all these rumors are coming from the script's not even done yet so they haven't even finished the script. <laughs> I I don't know this. I'm 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 not a. I don't really get into the Bond movies. Um, I've seen a few. Yeah, of them. I, I think they're archaic in the sense that you know it's like some like murderous like kind of sociopath going around you know uh, sleeping with women and killing people. Right. I much prefer that to be an American than a, a British <laughs> guy like Jason Bourne. Yeah, exactly. We invented the concept of uh, womanizing and uh, remorselessly killing people. Yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, I think we do it best, USA. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm I'm worried about uh, you know that it seems like they're really going to rush this in production. Danny Boyle was supposed to direct originally, and I guess he dropped out because he had a um, creative difference with Daniel Craig over who he wanted to be the main villain in the movie, and so, da- so da- Danny Boyle thought it should be good, and Daniel Craig differed. <laughs> That's probably it. Daniel Craig that, looks like a uh, looks like a potato in a suit. He looks like James Bond's point. <laughs> you know that they have different uh, size suits for him. They uh, they have this one suit that he that he'll wear in the movies that is so tight that he can't even move at all in it. So if you see him just kind of like posing by a Bacharach table or something <laughs> like that, he's in that suit. And then, and then if he has to do like uh, 
any kind of walking, he's in a suit that's slightly, uh, slightly fitted better. And then if he's got to do fighting, he's in like a, a suit that actually fits him. That's dumb. <laughs> so their point out, Baccarat is a stupid game. Uh, Poker is way better. Yeah, I've seen. Um, I used to work in a casino, uh, as you know. The people out there don't, but I did. And oh, they know. Um, <laughs> and um, I've seen it played many times. It's uh, it's terrible. But now, yeah, how would that change the James Bond movie if his different game, if his game of choice was different? Like, imagine if it was like like blackjack that was his game. Yeah, I you know I think Baccarat is supposed to be like a. Um, Sort of like an old British kind of, you know, like high stakes yeah, like game. Kind of stupid game like that. Yeah. Um, although at the casino and, you know, I don't want letters. Be, be careful here. I don't want letters. But this I is, know where you're going. But this is just true. And I have a friend named Wee Win who's... Uh, um, Hold on, I'm going to leave the room for a few minutes. I'll come back <laughs> right after you're done. But anyway... They're, it's mostly Asian people that play this game. That's all I'm gonna say. Remember when we were at a when we were at um, Greek Town Casino? Like it was this was years ago when it was still owned by um, the uh, Native American tribe in um, in Michigan. Oh, Native American! That's not what you were calling them back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. Anyways, I, Dan Snyder, what were you saying? <laughs> He, uh, there was this guy next to us. I think you were there for this. Um, there was this, we were playing blackjack and there was this guy next to us and he lost a hand and he threw his cards in or whatever. And he said, God damn Indians. What did we ever do to them? <laughs> with, with no iron, like he wasn't joking no, with no irony. He said this. No, I actually wasn't there for that. I thought you were going to talk about another incident because I was going to correct you because it was in uh, the Casino Windsor. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. We were about. there late at night. We were playing uh, Pai Gao Poker. And then like this guy just kind of like out of the blue as if he hadn't looked around all night, just suddenly looks around and goes, boy, there sure are a lot of Asians here. It's <laughs> yeah. a weird comment to make. Yeah. I'm back now, by the way. Oh. So uh, speaking of um, of Asians... Uh, a uh, an Asian will not host the Academy Awards because it will be Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart is hosting the 2019 Academy Awards. Uh, he says it's um, you know, a great honor and everything. I, I don't know if he was their first choice. Um, it seems like a lot of people don't want to do this gig anymore because I think you can really only kind of look bad doing it. It's very hard to to yeah. to look good hosting the Academy Awards. I'm not really a big award show watcher, so I don't really even know who like who is it like uh, Jimmy Kimmel or something hosts this usually. Oh, I think Jim, I don't. I think Jimmy Kimmel hosted it last year. Maybe I can't. Craig Kilborn. I can't remember. <laughs> Wow, there is a blast from the past. Craig Kilborn and his five questions hosted it uh, in 1998 when he was, uh, you know, high on uh, doing um, the Daily Show. But uh, you host for the uh, the Academy Awards. You should get him. I know Seth MacFarlane did it one year. Um, Obviously, when we were growing up, it was like Billy Crystal and um, Robin Williams and uh, Whoopi Goldberg did it a lot. 
Huh. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever once watched it all the way through. Um, I'm not trying to be funny. The Academy Awards, that's like the Oscars? Is that the same thing? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever see that uh, the one that won last year, The Shape of Water? <laughs> yeah, I saw that movie. Yeah, it was uh, it was on HBO like a few weeks ago, and I turned around right with this lady's fucking a fish. <laughs> it was... Okay, this is what I'll say about The Shape of Water. I did not want it to win Best Picture. I didn't think it deserved to win Best Picture. I thought Get Out should have won Best Picture or Three Billboards. Either one of those movies I would have been fine with. But um, it was like a well-acted movie. It was a gorgeous movie. I like a lot of Guillermo del, Toro, del Toro's movies. Um yeah, I, I like him a lot too. Um, I, I wanted to see this movie, but I never really went and saw it. And then I just turned it on right when they're like in this bathtub, and it's like such a weird, like out of place, like scene, you know, to see that and nothing yes. else. Well, the thing is, too, is it's out of place even if you watch the whole movie because they don't they don't build to a romantic relationship. I mean, they build kind of a friendship, but you know, yeah, it's weird, and I did not like it at all. <laughs> it was that's that's what. Weird. Oh, imagine how the uh, the Oscar voters had a dilemma, a dilemma on their hands, though. Yeah, a movie that's a metaphor for the struggles of African Americans in the uh, country, mm-hmm. and a uh, movie where a lady has sex with a fish. <laughs> Which one? Which one are you gonna pick, Mark? Oh God, Get Out was so good. Haven't seen it. Y- you should. It's a really good movie. But yeah, um... I'm not going to. <laughs> no regrets. Nope, I don't care for the Key and Peele show, and I assume it's just like that, so no. <laughs> yeah, it's a laugh a minute. No, it's um no, it's 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 a very good serious film. But um I'm getting quite the reel from your uh, comments from this weekend uh, from the other day <laughs> on the Kevin Smith one. Right. Oh no, I, I'm ready to run a political ad against you if you ever uh cross me. <laughs> I'm using um, my IBM computer, and I only use IBM computers because they helped uh, the Nazis during World War II. Is that why you drive a Ford? No, no, that's why I drive a Volkswagen. (laughs) Where was Apple when the Nazis needed them? Oh, I'm sure they would have helped. I don't know why I'm feeding into this. I do not like this bit at all. Oh, so now you're saying it's a bit, huh? (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh. Anyway, so um, I, I'll just say you don't want to take a shower at my house. But um, so the other uh, two pieces of news that I have today are Concern TV. And I, I can almost guarantee how you're going to react to both of these. But um, one is uh, apparently Netflix is going to get rid of friends from their service uh, on January 1st. And the internet is freaking out about it because apparently people still love Friends. Uh, although, alternately, I also hear that Friends is homophobic and racist and, and stuff like that, too. But, uh, yeah, people... It's right up your alley, then, huh? People are upset that uh, Friends is going off the air. Do you care about this at all? Uh, no, I think I read something about it as well, and I couldn't care less. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, so... I mean, I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of episodes of Friends. I think it was on, like, right after or right before something I used to like, like The Simpsons. 
And it's just like a show that I don't understand why it's so popular. It's like the most bland, generic like sitcom you could ever conceive of. Yeah, my wife likes it a lot. Um, I know a lot of people. Well, let me, let me, let me backtrack. <laughs> no, no, but I know a lot of people that do like it. I never really got into it because I, I kind of agree with you. It's just, it's it's comfort food, the show. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I can see. I mean, like, it's, I think that's, I, I've read a lot about, like, when Futurama went off of Netflix, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people complaining because apparently there's, like, a wide segment of the audience that, like, watches it as they fall asleep every night, which mm-hmm. I think I've heard the same thing about Friends, which. I guess I could kind of see if it's like familiar with, but I mean, just to me, it's not anything that I am interested in. Yeah, I um, Futurama is is so much better than Friends. I uh, would agree with you wholeheartedly there. I know Matthew Perry listens to the show, um, so sorry, Matthew, but it's just kind of how I feel. Billy West doesn't listen to the show because of the story you told about him. I could see that, but it was pretty funny. <laughs> But uh, yeah, the other the other piece of news that I have is um, that uh, the at least not all of them, but a large majority of the cast of The Office met for brunch, and I believe it was Jenna Fisher put a tweet up on Twitter with them saying saying you know sorry that uh, the the people that couldn't be there couldn't be there, and that. Um, you know they that and she she ended up saying you know we'll see you soon, and so everyone now is is freaking out saying oh they're gonna do a office reboot, which apparently everybody wants to see. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I gave up in the office about three seasons deep or so. I think I've said this before. The uh, the Ed Helms uh, when he starts, that's about when it stops getting fun, being funny anymore to me. And here's the thing: I don't even know how they would do it. I mean, unless they did an actual reboot where they can like they went back to the beginning again somehow which i don't think they would do the the formula seems to be to take a show that was popular like roseanne or murphy brown or uh you know whatever one of these and um bring the original cast back as a sort of continuation and that's what I would imagine they would do with The Office if they were going to do something like that. But I don't know how they would do something like that because of the way The Office ends. Like, it's like Steve Carell, his character Michael moved to Colorado with his wife and that's how he got written out of the show. What does he come back to uh, to Scranton? Does he like try to take over again? I mean, I guess they could do yeah, it. I don't know. I guess they could do it if they really you know, worked on it. Although with as many different people as they brought in over the years, like Ed Helms and like, uh, um, you know, like Ellie Kemper and, and some of the different people that they brought in, it seems like it would be pretty overstuffed the cast. Yeah, for sure. But, um, you know, and I, I don't even know if, um, I mean like Steve Carell does a bunch of movies now. He's up for Oscar consideration sometimes. Jenna Fisher's got her own TV show that she's currently working on, um, splitting up together. Um, you know, I don't know what Ellie Kemper's up to right now. I know her. Wasn't show. she in the Impossible Un- Kimmy or something? Un- like that? Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which or is that canceled? Yeah, that that got canceled. You, I think that's on Netflix. You should watch that. You would like that show. It's it's weird and like. Uh, kind of like off the wall crazy type show. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> but um 
Uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, John Krasinski. I think he's in another like Jack Ryan type thing. Yeah, and he. I don't di- know if it just started or what. And he directs movies. You know, he directed uh, Quiet Place, and um, you know, and he's. He, I think he's working on a sequel to that. I just I don't see how any of them would have time to put in you know any kind of work on something like this. Maybe if it was like a uh, like you remember how they used to do like um they'd do like a a very Brady movie or something like that you know it'd be like a reunion okay and like an episode but it was like maybe an hour long did you ever see like the Brady Bunch movie yeah not the not the not the ones in theaters with the movie yeah no I know what you're talking about like the very Brady reunion and stuff like yeah they they used to do that all the time where they would that was that was the reboots of the 70s and 80s I guess as they yeah would, it was like uh, a one off because they yeah. couldn't really you know sustain interest in a series but you know like one episode would be like, oh what are they up to yep exactly they did one for growing pains as well I think which is kind of funny now that uh, what's his name Kirk Cameron is how he is mm-hmm. oh yeah. Sorry, it wasn't a uh, you know a sermon the entire thing. <laughs> the best the best reunion that they ever that anyone's ever done is the Seinfeld reunion, the one on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh yeah, that, I, I I'm not I'm not a big Seinfeld fan, but that was hilarious. I mean, it was over a few episodes too, wasn't it? Yeah, and that's the perfect like that that is the perfect like Larry David type way to do a reunion thing where it's not really a reunion and it's kind of poking fun at the whole idea of reunion shows, but it also still kind of gives you a little bit of, you know, what the characters might be up to now. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. That for sure is like the best reunion type thing like that. I mean, George had like an app that showed you all the best bathrooms were, I think, and then like it failed miserably. No, Bernie Madoff stole uh, all his money. That's what it was. Yeah, you're right. And then there was a funny, like, not, you know, out, in and out of, you know, scene thing with uh, Michael Richards with his hat. And then he was yelling at J.B. Smoove loudly. Yeah. Who was dressed like a Nation of Islam person, even though he's supposed to be Jewish. But, yeah, it was pretty good. How do you feel about them, Mark? On Hanukkah. <laughs> Happy Hanukkah, everyone. Yeah, my uh, my my. F- five-year-old told me yesterday that she wishes uh we could celebrate hanukkah because she wants eight days of presents oh right i like the um the uh what's his name the lewis black uh, bit about uh, that where he said that when he was growing up his christian friends would be jealous of it but he was like it was eight days of like the worst presents he's like oh uh, what's this a pen set oh you forgot to take the name of the bank off the bottom of it what's this a pair of socks you know what's what's this a yo-yo yeah i'm not super familiar with it um i know it's eight days and uh something about a dreidel my my youngest was trying to explain that to me and i don't know he was saying you could spin it and get chocolate and it sounded like it was like the best holiday ever in her mind to her yeah well you know that's uh I'm sure, I'm sure it's a very fun. I've never celebrated Hanukkah, uh, and I've never been around like I've never been around a Hanukkah celebration. So I'm not sure about any of it really, and I wouldn't want to offend the Jewish people by anything joke or otherwise that we do on the show. And I know we haven't offended any Jewish people so far. Yes. So I want to keep not our, yet. I want to keep our record clean on that. Wait, didn't you just make that comment about the showers like a like ten minutes ago? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I uh, you know I think we skipped a segment. What did you, what have you watched this week? 
Oh yeah, in our very uh, <laughs> in our, very our, uncharacteristic uh, rambling. In our very professional, um, you know, like, uh, and I've been watching a lot too. Podcasts. We forgot uh, about what you're watching. Tell me. Yeah, I got notes. Okay. Oh, do you? <laughs> Mike's come prepared this week. Uh, so okay. So what have you been watching this week? Let's see. Uh, I, I've heard a lot, and this is a show that's been off the air for some time now, of the show called Leverage. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Yeah, I think I haven't seen it, but I do believe I've heard of it. Uh, Timothy Hutton is in it. Um, I don't know what else this guy's from. Probably like other movies or something. He looks familiar. One of those guys, you know? Right. So he's like a uh, he's a um, he's a retired insurance investigator who like leads a team of thieves like to go and like you know. Um, the fir- very first episode, they like this guy like kind of blackmails them, and they get him back, and they make so much money that they're just going to go around like a broke ass like A team, you know, fixing uh, things for people. Okay, I'm a big fan of like heist movies and the genre in general, but uh, as you are, are well aware, as uh, our foray into the Hudson Hawk movie, I'm a real big fan <laughs> of the minutia when it comes to uh, you know heist and that kind of stuff. Like mm-hmm. the movie Heat, I like quite a bit because they show them preparing for the heist. Uh, Point Break, same thing. You see him loading up, and it kind of is like very meticulous. Uh, the movie, the show Leverage is nothing like that. I do not care for the show at all. Okay. It's like uh, the A-Team, if you were watching the A-Team uh, right now and not when you were like a 10-year-old child. You know, there's no nostalgia. There's no childlike sense of wonder. It's just like, this show is just ridiculous. There's like this guy who's like a karate expert or something. Okay. And there's like 10 guys who have guns on him, and then they, it like flashes, and you hear all these gunshots. And when it comes back, he's beating every single one of them up. Wow. And he doesn't like guns. He, he, he can't talk about it. I'm sure he does later, but whatever. <laughs> and then this uh, this lady who actually was um, was engaged to Jason Lee at one point, like a blonde lady. She has like a kid with him, like Pilot Inspector Lee. That's her mom. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I don't remember I don't her, her name. name, but I, I am familiar with her. But she's like the thief lady in that. And then... Um, and uh, so she like uh, you know she can fit through like a hole that's like like a fucking you know playing card size. It seems like it's mm-hmm. just ridiculous. Like you know, there's like grappling hooks everywhere, and that makes no sense to me either. Um, there's this other lady who's like a terrible actress on stage, but oh, put her in a con situation. She's you know, I don't know, a Stalgetti. That's probably not a good example. Okay. And there's this other guy. This guy it was kind of funny. He's like a computer hacker. But um, do you remember the movie Die Hard with a Vengeance? Yes. One of uh, the one of um. Uh, Zeus's uh, nephews. He was actually one of Zeus's nephews, like one of the little boys. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he's in it too. And then uh, I don't know. I think that's all the like the characters. It's it's it was recommended to me by a couple people who like you know I'm like oh I like heist movies. You're like oh watch this, and uh, I do not recommend this show. <laughs> I mean, it's like a CSI type show, you know, that you might watch. I'm like oh, okay, it's something to watch, but it's not very interesting to me personally. Some other people might like it. Gotcha. Well, I, I will not check that out then. I've got too much to watch anyway. It's been off the air for a long time. It was on Amazon Prime, though, much to my surprise. Oh, okay. Yeah, I do have Amazon Prime. Um, but I still won't watch, watch it. Watch Leverage. <laughs> so I, there are three things that I've watched. Uh, there's I, I've, I've been watching a lot this week, but um, three things that I'll... I'll point out real quick one is uh f is for family which uh the third season the great bill burr yeah bill burr's um animated show i've only watched the first couple episodes of the third season so far um so far it's not as good as the first two seasons but it's still pretty funny uh the first two seasons i think are are hilarious and um 
they really capture what it was like in the uh, in the late seventies, early eighties, um, kind of growing up uh, during that time. Just how kind of awful everything was. Um, but uh, that's a very funny show. Um, the other thing that I've been watching um, is uh, I watched a documentary called Game Over, which. Uh, uh. It's, What's that about? It's about the rise and fall of Atari and kind of the video game crash of 1983. Okay, I think I've heard about that. I, I imagine it features uh, E.T. the video game quite prominently. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's the the what initially seems like is going to be the B story is the the um, effort to dig up the landfill where it was rumored and legend and everything that um that they had buried, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies of unsold uh, ET cartridges and everything. Yeah, I've always heard that when I was younger. And that turns out to be really the main story and they've got um like a bunch of people uh like celebrities and stuff uh that come to view this like a bunch of people came to view it when they did this like what celebrities <laughs> well um they... like the kind of celebrities you see when you see a show with the word celebrity in the title yes exactly <laughs> um, they got ernest klein who wrote uh ready player one the um the book oh, okay. yeah, and... i've heard the name and uh, i saw ready player one and i read a little bit of the book i didn't i couldn't finish the book uh, sorry, Ernest Klein, but um, the book is just. I did a. Uh, I did a video about. Uh, I used to do these videos called delete or um, yeah, deleted chapters from famous novels, and I did Ready Player One, where it's basically I'm just doing a parody of what the book is like, and in that parody, all I did was for about two and a half minutes, do as many pop culture references as I could possibly think of. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. I've never seen the movie, and I haven't read the book, and I'm not going to do either, but yeah, that's kind of what it seems like to me. The movie's not as bad as far as the pop culture references go as the book is, um, but seeing Ernest Klein interviewed, that's just how this guy thinks and talks. Just doing it in an interview, like in a... Uh, in a 30-second interview, I think he, I counted, I don't remember exactly how many it was, but I think he made 10 or 15 pop culture references. <laughs> was it like uh, hanging out with uh, Seth MacFarlane? Yeah, yeah, I think it was, uh, I think it was a bit like that. But, um, but yeah, like, uh, it, it's just insane. Uh, and um, so he comes there, he gets a DeLorean. To, to drive uh, there. Of course he's got a DeLorean. Where right. else would he drive? So he's got a De- he gets a DeLorean to drive to New Mexico, the New Mexico desert, to see this landfill being dug up, which has got to be just the saddest thing I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> just a, a bunch of people gathering around to watch a landfill get dug up just in the and the hopes that they could see, you know, some busted uh moldy ET cartridges. <laughs> yeah, what are they going to do if they find them? I don't I don't understand the purpose of this. I don't either. But oh, was, was this Ernest Klein guy the biggest celebrity? He, yeah, he's probably the biggest celebrity in the movie. <laughs> oh no. Can I get some other names or you, did they have the kid who wore the the power glove in the movie The Wizard? They um Yeah, I think they did actually. <laughs> And the the power was Will, Will Wheaton there? I would imagine he would be there. Oh, I didn't see. No, they didn't. Um, they didn't mention Will Wheaton. 
But so all these people and like regular people too. Well, I use regular loosely, but non-celebrities. Not big time celebrities like Curtis Klein. <laughs> right. They they've all gathered here too. And I you know, I didn't really like the documentary that much, honestly, because you know, it's called Game Over and like subtitled The Rise and Fall of Atari. And I was really interested to hear about kind of like how Atari got founded, um, you know, like the inner workings of the company and stuff like that. And then the different um, factors that kind of led to their downfall uh, in 1983. And and, um, the video game industry as a whole um, had a huge downfall in 1983. And they do, they go about halfway. They do a decent job explaining like how Atari kind of rose to prominence um, and what their corporate structure was like and everything. They were very much kind of like how people view um, Google and stuff now, although with more drugs and alcohol, um, because they, uh, you know, there's a big party atmosphere and everything with these uh, engineers and game developers and stuff like that. And, um, And that kind of stuff was interesting. But then they just kind of go like, yeah, uh, this guy, he designed E.T. and he only had like five weeks to do it because they wanted to rush it out before Christmas. And it took Steven Spielberg a long time to agree to give them the rights to E.T. And then it wasn't enough time to develop a good game. And he had a decent idea and he shouldn't get blamed for it. And then E.T. was like a failure. And then the company just went under, you know, but it wasn't it wasn't because yeah. but, but it wasn't because of E.T. And they like really rush through that so they can focus a lot on this excavation thing and it's, I'm like I don't care about the excavation I want to hear about like the, the company stuff like what happened can, can you think of any of the other celebrities you know who was at this thing I think uh, Dave Coulier was uh, was there oh come on man cut it out <laughs> there's uh there's when on the weekly planet um which I know I've mentioned a couple times uh, an- uh, another podcast that um you know if you listen to them you should listen to us but not but not necessarily vice versa. We want you listening to us. That's that's the point. But anyway, they used to have this segment called Dave Cruelier, <laughs> where uh, people wrote in. <laughs> people wrote in about um, encounters that they'd had with Dave Coulier where he was an asshole to them. <laughs> what? Yeah, it was great because the first story the first story that they sorry i gotta hear this the first story that they had was um someone listened to bob saget's uh uh, stand-up right and he um he was talking about how gosh i wish i you know i'll have to i'll tell this i'll tell the story next week because i have to listen to it again to exactly remember how it goes but i remember the the latest one i heard so the one i can remember and i'll tell i'll listen to uh I'll I'll steal their content <laughs> and use it as our own. I don't care. Maybe yeah, okay. So maybe ask, but uh, what? <laughs> but um, uh, well, I'm giving credit. It's from it's from their uh, their show. But uh, we already can't be played in Germany, so might as well uh, alienate everyone else, right? But uh, <laughs> anyway, so um, uh, like uh, I'll tell you the one that I remember like pretty well. I think it was the last one that I heard. There was um, this guy who made balloon animals on the street for kids and stuff like that. In <laughs> and um, uh, I I think this is a line from Die Hard or a movie like that. Um, 
But uh, this guy comes up on the street and he goes, hey, clown, make me a dog or something like that. And uh, the the writer like says, you know, I'm not dressed as a clown when I do this. And he said <laughs> and he says, uh, ha, ha, ha. We've all seen uh, Die Hard or whatever it was, right? Yeah, it's not Die Hard, but I don't know what it is. And the guy, the guy that shouted at him goes, what an asshole, and just walks away. <laughs> and he goes, one of the uh, people in the audience informed me that the guy that shouted at me was Dave Coulier. <laughs> See, I, I would have to, I would just, I, I don't know. First of all, who trusts a balloon artist? I mean, let's yeah, be honest here. That's true. They are noticeably I, I, shifty. Yeah, I don't know. I would say I met Dave Coulier, but I really didn't. I was like five feet away from him at a, a comedy show. Okay. Starring Dave. <laughs> uh, and uh, he's very small. He's a very small man, which I didn't expect. Okay. Big in heart, though. Big in heart. And cruelty, apparently. Did um, Do you think that uh, Do you think that he's really an asshole? I mean, I wouldn't be shocked just because he's been famous for like 30 years. Probably has a lot of money tucked away. Um, he's probably just been shit on by every like comedian, you know, for the last 30 years. You know, it's funny because outside of this one podcast, and I mean, they're not coming up with this stuff. People sent them. What, what The way it happened was someone sent in a story about Dave Coulier, and they kind of, while they were riffing, they came up with the name Dave Coulier for the segment. <laughs> and they basically just, they basically just said, hey, if anyone has any stories about Dave Coulier being a jerk, send them in to us. And they, you know, they only got five that he's only been on the he's only been featured on the show five times so I, I don't know i mean like uh being out there in the world you know you, like everyone has bad days and stuff like that to only get five stories <laughs> to only get five stories i don't know maybe he's not that much yeah. of a jerk i would pay so much to have dave Cooley call me an asshole <laughs> were any of these stories from an alanis m by the way <laughs> no no but it's uh i was when i was like kind of uh because I, I thought maybe at some point we should do a uh, a segment uh, as uh, one of our regular segments um, of like celebrity horror stories, and I was looking for other Dave uh, Dave Coulier ones, but I couldn't find any outside this podcast. The podcast I was talking about, but um, I did find some stuff about Alanis Morissette though, where where he says um, you know he doesn't he doesn't really think that that's him, even though they did date. Yeah, I think she said like it was like it was the big age differences mostly what she's referencing, or like she did call him during dinner or something. Yeah, like apparently, I, apparently it's I, an I amalgamation. Like think, I do like to think the going down thing was uh, with him because that's just a hilarious image. <laughs> him, Someone looks at him, go away, asshole. <laughs> well, him him watching a movie and uh, and um, he didn't really ask for this, but she just was in the mood or whatever, and. Uh, He's like, Alanis, I'm trying to watch the movie. Cut it out. Yeah, that, that's always what I think of. Like, then, he, then she's, he's like, what are you doing, Alanis? She's like, I don't know. And then Slime just... <laughs> I like to think that in the many worlds theory where everything that's possible to happen has happened, that has happened somewhere. <laughs> that, that someone just follows her around with a bucket of slime from uh, you can't do that on television. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'd like that. Uh, the other thing that I've been watching. Uh, oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Quick question. Yeah. Did you ever play that ET video game? Yes, I have. 
That was the worst video game ever. It was it's, so bad. It's terrible. I don't even know what's supposed to be happening in the game. That's part of the problem. And here's the thing. When the when the guy that uh, on the one of the things that's kind of interesting about the documentary is the guy sort of explains what his thought process was for the story behind the game. It's good and ambitious, but way too ambitious for the technology they had at the time. He like he wanted this like big open world type thing with um you know kind of uh like like mirroring the story from the from the movie a little bit and um it's just it was too ambitious for what the Atari 2600 could do. Oh, uh, by the way, I looked it up real quick. Uh, you know who else is in the movie? And I'm surprised you just glanced right over this one. What? George R R Martin. Oh yeah, that's right. George R. Yeah, George R. R. Martin's in the Big movie. Bushy beard. <laughs> oh yep, he's in the movie he, too. He lives in New Mexico. He lives in New Mexico, actually. Yeah, and it's like he's got anything better to do than watch some guy dig up fucking Atari uh, cartridges. I think it's his DeLorean that, um, or no, I can't remember who he gets the DeLorean from, but. Uh, but yeah, he gets this giant E.T. Uh, stuffed doll and puts it in the, the passenger seat. Because, of course, Ernest Klein's driving alone. <laughs> Maybe this doll will love my references. Oh my god, I'm so glad that... that hey, uh, it's like it's like Wicked at Birdies. Could you imagine driving across the country with Ernest Klein? No, I couldn't. I think I'd want to blow my brains out. And then when you'd be like, oh, Bud Dwyer! Oh my god! Yeah, that's not appealing. I'm sorry. What was the uh, other thing you watched? Uh? So the last thing I watched is something that's available on YouTube. It's called Kung Fury. It's a uh, a movie that was made, I believe, in 2015 um, by a studio called Laser Unicorns. Now this is one of those. Um, this is one of those. Uh, those rare things where someone's tried to make a terrible movie, but so terrible that it's funny, which usually doesn't work out very well because um, usually one of the things that makes it funny is that is the honest attempt to make a good movie and just the failing at that. But I have, yeah, the real sense of disappointment is really what just makes you chuckle. (laughs) But I have to say that this this movie is pretty good. It um, it takes place in 1985 in Miami, and it's one of those things where um, the future is um, hyper realistically violent, like like a lot of those 80s movies where there's basically just roving gangs on the streets at all times trying to kill people. And yeah. uh, this um, this cop car pulls up to a, a group of kids on skateboards, and he's like, "Hey, what are you guys doing?" And the guy puts his skateboard underneath the cop car, and then hits the the like the kickflip thing, you know. And the cop car just goes flying like th- like a thousand what? feet into the air. I mean, it's <laughs> it's and this is at the very beginning of the movie, so it's super over the top like this, and. Um, this one guy used to be a cop and his partner got killed 
and somehow he got struck by lightning and imbued with this uh like the best kung fu like force in the world and he becomes like a vigilante basically trying to to keep the streets clean there's an at the beginning of the movie there's an arcade game that comes to life and starts like shooting people and killing things um <clears throat> it's 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 a crazy like off the wall kind of movie but it's uh, it's very humorous and i think they've done a good job um in uh, in satirizing those kind of movies at one point it becomes animated <laughs> like uh like the um the old movies hitler's in it as well and <laughs> uh, now i see why you like the movie <laughs> I don't even know why I mentioned it. Oh. I think we know why. Oh my god. Okay. Well, speaking of killing and hyperviolence, we should get on to the main topic of our show tonight, which is uh, the film The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is available on Netflix and is a, the new uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen film. Mike, what did you think of the Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Well, I liked it. I, uh, I I didn't think it was like the greatest movie I've ever seen, especially when you compare it to other Coen Brothers movies. Um, I thought overall it was kind of eh, it was like the same story being told. It was almost like if you had an album entirely with one song being covered in different styles by different artists. Hmm. That's kind of how it felt to me. That's an interesting how way about to look you? at it. Um, I liked it more than you did. I think. Uh, for for people that don't that don't know or haven't seen it yet, because uh, this will like I, I, I probably after this we'll kind of get into spoilers, but um, it's a uh, it's a movie that's that's con- consists of six different stories uh, that don't cross over in any way. They don't have the same characters. I don't even really think they use the same locations as far as cities or anything. They all take place in the southwest uh united states during what would be considered the frontier days uh like the you know the wild west as it were um no but other than that they have some themes in common but they don't share uh characters in any way um so you know if you want to check it out i think it's worth uh checking out especially on netflix where it's it's easy to see and it's free um yeah, I, I think I enjoyed it more than you did. I liked it quite a bit. I I wouldn't put it up there with, say, Fargo, um, or even like Raising Arizona, which is one of uh you know, kind of one of my favorites that they do, or or Blood Simple. Um, I wouldn't quite put it in that echelon of films that they've done. But I think it's um, uh, you know, I think it's probably in their top ten. Which is hard to crack into uh, when you're talking about the Coen brothers who do. Oh yeah, it's a quite the body of work. Yeah, absolutely, and and they've made they've made maybe five or six basically perfect movies uh, in their career. Certainly more than almost any director I can think of. Uh, at some point, maybe we should do a, a Coen brothers uh, film breakdown. Yeah, I was I, I was thinking about going back and just watching all their movies because I haven't seen every single one of their movies, but mm-hmm. uh, every one I've seen I've liked. Even like Intoler- Intolerable Cruelty, that's a really good movie. I didn't think it would be. I just happened to watch it and it was really good. Yeah, yeah, that's one I like too. That's one that's a little divisive amongst Coen Brothers fans. I think there are uh, some people that put it like towards the that still say it's it's a decent movie, but they put it towards the bottom. And then there are other people that that like it a lot more. I, I like Intolerable Cruelty. I think more than 
than most people do. Um, see, see, I'm actually not a big fan of uh, the one that everyone seems like. Uh, shit, what's the name of it? The one with um, Jeff Bridges, Jeff Daniels, True Grit. Oh, oh, you talking about the Big Lebowski? Yeah, yeah, the Big Lebowski. I'm not a huge fan of the Big Lebowski. I like the Big Lebowski. I don't love the Big Lebowski. There are people that will quote that movie ad nauseum. There are people that have seen that movie a hundred times. And I don't get into it like that. I watched it and I said to myself, um, you know, so it's kind of weird, you know, and everything, obviously, it's, uh, you know, it's it's a little surrealist, um, you know, and stuff. But I, you know, when I, when I watched the movie, I was like, yeah, that's a funny movie. It was pretty good. And that's like, you know, that's kind of how I feel about it. I, I didn't get into it like a lot of people seem to. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's it's okay. It's not bad by any stretch, but it's not something I ever really would seek out to go watch. Yeah, I think it's a good movie, but it's not like you said. It's not one that I that I would you know relish watching a, a bunch of times or anything like that. Um, I think Fargo is, uh, you know, I think Fargo is maybe it might be my favorite movie of the. It's an excellent film. Um, yeah, I like Fargo, but I think actually, uh, and this is going to be a shocker, the accents really put me off the first time I watched it. Right. Um, but there's there's amazing acting. Uh, you know, Steve Buscemi is like great in that. Yep. Uh, William Macy. William, or no, William H. Macy, correct? Yeah, yeah that's he right. Call himself that because of the Bill Macy guy who was on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Correct. Yep. Yeah, which I don't know, whatever. Um, I really like the Fargo series. I don't. I don't think they directly like directed or wrote it or anything that's really good um my favorite by them that i can that i've seen i haven't seen like miller's crossing or anything like that which i hear is really good Mm -hmm. um and blood simple as well i haven't seen that um my favorite that i've seen by them is uh, probably no country for old men i really really enjoy that movie and that's one i haven't seen that i need to see that's why Uh, i i think it would be a good idea for us to um to do that at some point in the future uh a a coen brothers um thing because then i could go through and watch uh, a lot of the ones I haven't watched too. Uh, see, No Country for Old Men is uh, the second, and I think they might be the only people who've ever directed any uh, adaptation of a Cormac McCarthy. Yeah, they did all the Pretty Horses of all, which I haven't read. That. You know, that's not true. The Road was also uh, made into a movie that they didn't do, but I think yeah. it's just those three. Yeah, I believe all the Pretty Horses, um, No Country for Old Men, The Road, and I. Yeah, I don't think. Like no one's ever done Blood Meridian, or at, and that that would be tough to turn into a movie anyway. But um, yeah, yeah, I've read like I've read um, I've read The Road, and I've read Blood Meridian, and All the Pretty Horses, and a couple other Cormac McCarthy novels. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen that, and I haven't read the book either. Uh, so that's a shame because I, there's a lot of like almost, you can't really say they influence themselves, but you could watch uh, No Country for Old Men, and then you could watch. Uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and there's a lot of similarities, obviously, with like the theme of like you're in the Southwest. Um, I, I would almost say, like, do you, want to, do you want to go into the movie now, like the different chapters and that sort of thing? Yeah, spoiler alert. What's your favorite story of, of the stories? So, I like the first one and the last one. The Me most. too. Me too. And I've been telling my wife that, um, because we watched it, to, I watched the movie first and then we watched it together. And I've been telling like everybody that my favorites are the first story and the last story. Yeah, the first one is, uh, speaking of Cormac McCarthy, if Cormac McCarthy ever did a cartoon, that would be that cartoon. Yep. Speaking of cartoon, I mean, this the whole first segment is, is, it's like I've never seen a better adaptation of a cartoon to 
live action. I mean, everything about it is very cartoonish. I mean, the, the horse, you know, responds. The horse is named Dan. Yep. I mean, the guy just kind of like waltzes around, does like, you know, impossible acts of violence. He's shot in the head, and he just like is able to see that he was shot in the head before he dies. You see his angel flapping away. Yep. Absolutely. It is completely a cartoon on screen. And, um, yeah, and he talks to the camera. Uh, it's it's clearly the the most humorous one. He kills a guy in a very like you know he kills a guy by hitting the table and having him shoot yeah, himself. He the board. Yeah, and then and then and then sings a song about yeah, it. Yeah, then instantly he's singing a song to the proper melody, and people are clapping at the right spots and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that one is it's definitely a hell of a way to start um, to start the movie. And uh, yeah, I I enjoyed that one a lot. That that I think that's a great way to it gets it gets obviously um I think one of the big themes or the biggest theme that runs through all these movies is death. Um Yeah, the movie is just despair, you know, there's no it's it's again very Cormac McCarthyan where it's in the sense that like, you know, everything's bad, eventually every everything goes to ruin, you know, there's no pure eternal joy out there. Yeah, and it's very nihilistic. Um, oh yeah, it's it's for sure. Is I mean that's why I, oh, I said earlier like each one's just like a different. It's, it's the same theme like beating you know a drum throughout the entire you know thing. Mm-hmm. Even if you're like the best killer in the whole world, you're still gonna be you know having someone coming after you and taking you out. Yeah, and uh, you know, but I do think that there's some like points of hope in um, in the movie. Uh, for instance, uh, you know Buster Scruggs, like you said. After he gets shot because he's, you know, someone's, someone's proven themselves to be a quicker gun than he is. Um, you know, he floats away, you know, his angel or his soul or whatever floats away. And, you know, he says that he hopes he's going to some place where men, you know, aren't so cruel as, uh, as they are here on earth. Um, yeah, after he shot four men and a bartender for not giving them a drink. <laughs> yeah, he, he does like he's a very contradictory character and i'll tell you what i would watch a, a prequel movie that's just about his um his adventures before uh before you know we see him here um yeah yeah i just want to point out a couple things real quick too mm-hmm. or so well, before we talk about the rest um the cinematography of this movie is the most amazing thing i've ever seen it's like a oh, it's, completely gorgeous movie to look it's fantastic I mean, I put it on par with the movie Last Days by Gus Zant, which also had like these like amazing scenes, and you know the camera work is. It's just, if I mean, I know they put it in the theaters briefly. I really hope it's nominated because the just just looking at the movie, you could just look at it with the sound off, and it's it's just a gorgeous movie to look at. It is, and you know, um, obviously, it's aided a little bit by um, you know the scenery that they have to shoot with these like epic and uh, just gorgeous. Um, you know, like, uh, Western vistas, but even in, um, in some of the middle, the middle movies or the middle stories, uh, like especially the one, um, meal ticket where there's a lot of shadow because it's a performance and he's on a stage and there's, there's a lot of shadow. There's a lot of contrast. The cinematography in that is, uh, is just, outstanding i agree with you and, and um and i think it probably will get nominated for cinematography it was um bruno uh de who uh who did the uh the cinematography for this and he, he's worked with the um the coen brothers uh before 
in uh you know in some different movies um he did a couple of Harry Potter movies too I believe but uh yeah he's worked with the Coen brothers think since I think uh inside Llewellyn Davis or maybe even a little bit before that yeah that that was just amazing another thing that like the the dialogue is just fantastic as well I mean you have these cowboy like you know good for nothing characters like speaking very eloquently, you know, they use lots of multi-syllable uh, words, which mm-hmm. you typically wouldn't see in the, uh, you know, the Western genre where they're like, you know, quiet men with, uh, you know, fast guns seems to be the predominant theme. This one is just like, you know, like the character, you know, uh, Buster Scruggs is like a raconteur, you know, like you said, you could just watch him, you know, go around just shooting people and, you know, talking it up for, you know, a full, you said a full length movie, I think I can maybe go about half an hour but yeah it's 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 a really compelling character to watch and throughout the entire movie especially in the meal ticket segment i mean that's you know on display here mm-hmm. oh for sure um yeah the the meal ticket the dialogue's interesting in that um the second the second one is um the uh the one with james franco uh near algodones i think he, i don't know how to pronounce it that's what it's that's how it looks title yeah and um, he's a bank robber uh, with Stephen Root, who is outstanding in the the small um, the small little part that he has as the as the banker. He is great. Yeah, yeah Stephen Root is always amazing, and I, I actually didn't recognize it was him until I heard the voice. I'm like, oh, that's clearly Stephen Root. And mm-hmm. Yeah, sure enough. But uh, you know, he tries to warn um, James Franco about. Uh, the fact that um, you know people have tried to rob the bank before but never been successful with it, and Franco still tries to rob the bank and gets caught. Now he ends up getting away because uh, there's a uh, a Native American attack uh, on the people that are going to hang him. Yeah, yeah. Um, what happens is uh, he, he basically uh, Stephen Root covers himself with pans, and every, yes. whenever he gets shot, he yells "pan shot," which is ridiculous. Right, and also I think probably a. Um, a uh, a movie making reference that they're making. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. I just don't know it myself. Um, but then he eventually catches up with James Franco and knocks him out with a rifle. Yep. And then when James Franco wakes up, he's on a horse with a rope around his. Yeah, because they've had the trial already. Yeah, he just doesn't remember it, but they assure him that it was a very fair trial. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so then he ends up getting away. Um. It's funny too because the um that uh, bank um it says uh I I can't remember like like you said I can't remember exactly the name but um I've been through that town which is uh in New Mexico. Oh, that's weird. Well yeah, it, which is which is interesting. But anyway, were you looking for uh copies of ET? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh but anyway, so um yeah, he ends up getting away and he you know some, this guy that's running uh cattle uh notices him notices him shoots him down from the uh from the the noose and uh then he gets caught because that guy apparently stole that cattle and he just gets hanged anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another, you know, downer life is a series of downers. And I you know, I like um you know, it seems to me that kind of what they're saying is that um, that it's fate. You know, that that once once he decided to rob this bank, he was fated to die, and that was how it was going to be, no matter what. Even though he's being killed for a crime he didn't commit, it's still a just sentence because he should have hanged anyway. 
Um, and I guess, yeah, I, I mean, I guess if you consider bank robbery, I mean, he didn't attempt to kill him, although it wasn't successful. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that necessarily you should get killed for, for bank robbery, uh, you know, now, but that was the law then. Oh but, yeah, sure. But yeah, it's like you said, like you can't really escape, you know, fate. I mean, I guess it could be a theme or just like, you know, even when you're lucky, you're still destined to, you know, just be brutally and mercilessly killed. Right. Uh, and yeah, a lot of these stories about the are about the brutality of the people that settled, uh, you know, this part of the country uh, back then too. I would say that the bright spot um, in this one is clearly when he sees the the girl before he gets hanged. When he says, you know, there's a pretty girl. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I can almost see, and it's a pretty good performance by James Franco, who is hit hit or miss, uh, in my opinion. But, um, you know, when he says that, you know, you can almost see in his eyes the thought process of a life that could have been, you know, had he made different choices. Sure. Um, so I think that's maybe a little bit of the, the bright spot in that one. Uh, yeah, I thought this segment was okay. Uh, like you said, Stephen Root's a bright spot. He's always mm-hmm. fun to see. Um, it's kind of short. What was it, like 10, 15 minutes? I mean, it's just, you know, a pretty complete story told in that period of time, but just... It was a- yeah, I think a lot of these, some of these, I think a couple of them, in my opinion, could probably be expanded to, um, to like feature length of their own. Not, not that I would necessarily want that, but I think that there's enough story there that they could be. But I think the, I think the, uh, part of the pluses, part of the, the goodness of each one of these stories is that they're not overly long that they kind of tell their story they get in and get out as far as telling the story goes yeah yeah you're right uh do you want to go on to the next one is that the um that's meal ticket the meal ticket yeah 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 yeah. this one i think this is not necessarily my favorite one but this might be the best one like the um the objectively best one as far as the performances go the cinematography goes just kind of the whole uh, mood of everything it stars um liam neeson and uh as a green grocer <laughs> right <laughs> i've been what's he say i've been uh i've been zeus uh uh, uh what's his name uh schindler yeah <laughs> no one's gonna believe me why don't you use a different accent lots of people do that <laughs> sorry we're we're referencing a uh hilarious clip of uh Liam Neeson doing some improv. Right. Uh, yeah, if you if you look for... I don't even know if it's available on the internet anymore, but if you look for uh, Liam Neeson uh, improv, you, you should uh, you should find it. But uh, it, so it stars Liam Neeson and uh, Harry Melling, who uh, fans of Harry Potter will know as Dudley Dursley, uh, the, the little fat kid, I think, and he is... Uh, you know, he's definitely a uh, much more attractive, uh, he's become an attractive young man. Diabetes has caused his limbs to be removed in this one. <laughs> is that what it is? I don't know. Okay. But anyway, so, um, yeah, he uh, he has no arms and no legs. And Liam Neeson is a uh, impresario. And he, um, you know, the uh, this guy who's not named uh, is just his talent. And what he does is he sets up the theater and everything, and he starts out by uh, reading uh, uh, Percy Shelley's poem, Ozymandias, 
which was the uh, the Greek name for uh, Ramses. Uh, and uh, Shelley, a little background, Shelley wrote uh, this poem. Actually, Shelley and, and, oh, I can't remember who the other person was. but uh, Lord Byron? It might have been. Yeah, yes. Yes, they, they both, they were friends, and they both wrote poems on when... Uh, the Egyptian antiquities were being displayed in London. Um, so they wrote two different poems uh, based on, on that. And Shelley's was Ozymandias, which as fans of uh, the Watchmen know, you know, is where they get, uh, you know, that name from. But And uh, Breaking Bad, Bad fans as well are familiar with the poem. Yep, there was a really right. amazing, like, uh, trailer for the last season that had, like, uh, Brian Grits just reading it as you see bleak scenes of Here We Go Again in the Desert, like in this film. Yeah, yeah, and there's an episode called Ozymandias, too, um, in that uh, last season. But, the penultimate episode, some would say. Yep, that's true. <laughs> People who know what that word means might say that. I read it somewhere on the internet. But uh, but anyway, so uh, he reads, you know, he starts out with Ozymandias. I, he reads Cain and Abel. I think the ending one is the Gettysburg Address. There's some Shakespeare stuff in there. And um, so he gives this very eloquent performance. And it's the only time he speaks during the entire uh, the, during the entire segment. And that's part of what I think makes this one so good is a lot of the acting that Harry Melling does is all on his face and it's outstanding. You can see all of his emotions, everything that he's thinking all on his face. And Liam Neeson doesn't do a whole ton of talking either. And, um, and you know, his performance also is, is great. Um, you know, on his face as well. Um, but basically what happens is at the beginning, they're collecting a lot of money. It's pretty good. Uh, the money starts going down as they travel around to different areas and they get fewer and fewer dollars from people. And uh, after one of the performances, and the other thing too is, and it's, you know, it's somewhat subtle, but, you know, certainly noticeable by people. Uh, Liam Neeson has to do everything for this guy. He yeah, has, he has to, um, yeah. Clearly, the other guy doesn't have arms or legs, so Liam Neeson does every physical task, and you know the other. It's almost like the uh, the artist guy is just like a like almost like a pre recorded machine or something. He he can really only do his speeches and that. Yeah, yeah, and like he feeds him, and I don't know if you noticed this, but as he feeds him the beans and everything, he doesn't wait for them to cool down, and he seems annoyed when he needs a minute to uh, to like chew them because they're so hot and everything. Um, you know, what a he, dick. he, uh, you know, he, he goes to the bathroom and he has to help him take care of that. You know, I mean, there's just like everything, you know, he's got to do for him. So after one of the performances, he sees, uh, this guy who has a chicken that can seemingly count. Uh, there's a bunch of little, uh, numbers and people shout out stuff from the audience, different math problems like 11 plus two or whatever. And the chicken goes and pecks that, uh, you know, the, the correct answer. And this is a wildly popular show and everything. And Liam Neeson ends up, uh, buying that, that chicken so that he can tour that one around. And this one ends in probably the bleakest ending of all of them, <laughs> where we see Liam Neeson stop his coach after he's bought the chicken. He goes by this riverbed. He picks up a rock. He throws it in. 
and then he walks back to the um to the uh, wagon and we cut away and we see as he's uh going along that uh, only the chicken is back there and that the the artist is gone and obviously we know what happened there my my my, right. my wife asked me when we were watching and she's like why do you think he did that with the rock uh and i said to probably to see if it was deep enough see if the yeah, river was deep enough and fast enough so that when he threw him there like he knew he would drown and not um just like you know be embedded on the rocks and like almost um, i mean like what he does is horrifyingly terrible but (laughs) but almost like as a mercy i guess he tests it out because he could have just thrown him off without testing it and if it hadn't been deep enough the guy just would have starved to death because obviously with no arms or legs he's not going anywhere yeah another uh another thing that happened in this as well is uh liam neeson's character went to a uh, prostitute yep that's right she was, an, she was an African prostitute. <laughs> her, 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 her village was rattled with starvation. <laughs> Selling her body was her only recourse. <laughs> Another reference we're not making fun of prostitutes. But, uh, but yes. Anyways, he's whores. <laughs> So he, uh, yeah, he does that, and she offers to, uh, she asks if he wants to buy a, uh, you know, a a round for his friend, and uh, he declines. (laughs) Doesn't he turn him away, though? Yeah, he does. He turns him, like, he's, and that's the thing, he's got to bring him everywhere he goes, even to visit the prostitute, because, um, you know, he can't just leave him, like, in the wagon, because he can't defend himself. Someone could come and take him. Someone could come and kill him or whatever, you know? Right. Here, here's a question, too, though. is uh, When he turns him away, is that a mercy or is it a, a way to infuriate him? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I think it's more, I think it's just more he doesn't want him watching him. Yeah, he just doesn't want to look at his fucking face anymore. Right. So, I mean, really, it's arguable that this is all this guy can do. I mean, he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't really seem to do anything but repeat these uh, speeches. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't talk. He, you know, he's got a great voice and everything. Um, but I think this one is the most about the entertainment industry. Obviously, yeah. There's clearly some metaphor for like you know the people who do the hard work and those who you know just kind of sit and repeat like you know great work. Yeah, and I think that's part of it. And I think the other part of it too is um, is that um, you know like Liam Neeson comes and he's got this guy. And uh, the show that they put on is kind of sophisticated. It's these, uh, you know, great speeches, these beautiful poems, works of Shakespeare and stuff like that. And that's popular for a little while. But what ends up being way more popular and way more long lasting is just mindless, dumb crap with this. Yeah, that's another great point. (laughs) With this chicken. And I I think they're kind of trying to say that like high art is just not appreciated like, you know, everything else. And if you compare the, the like, box office returns of a Coen Brothers movie to that of, say, like, a Marvel movie, you know, I can, yeah, yeah. I can see the, uh, I can see their point there. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, the next segment is called All Gold Canyon. How yes. Did you, how did you feel about this one? I liked this, you know, like, this one is, um, is pro- I think the shortest one. It's not very long. It's Tom Waits, and it's basically a Tom Waits one man show. 
Um, and I just, I, I find him, I could, I could see this one being the most boring for a lot of people. Um, but there is something about Tom Waits that I just think is very charismatic and, you know, I can't take my eyes off of him on the screen. Obviously he's much more well known as a singer than an actor, although he has done acting. Um, but he is just, um, fascinating to, to watch and uh, and I was really engrossed in watching him on the screen during this. And, uh, you know, I think he is one that, uh, and obviously we're in spoilers, but he's one that, that survives through, uh, he's maybe the, the only, like, kind of major character that survives his story. And um, and I think, I think it's because, I, this might be me reading a little bit too much into it, but it seems like he has a respect for nature. You know, he says at one point uh, to the gold pocket that he's looking for in this valley that uh, he's old, but the gold pocket's older. And uh, there's a, a part where he goes up to uh, get some eggs from an owl, and the owl is just staring at him. <laughs> Like, like literally staring. I don't know how they got that to like what, how they trained that owl, but like staring daggers at him, like you bastard. And he ends up putting the eggs back all but one because he, he says, how, how high can a bird count? So, you know, he really shows a lot of respect for nature. You didn't see the previous segment, apparently. (laughs) Right. But I think, um, but I think that's, uh, I think that's why, um, I think that's why he ends up living in this because somebody comes, you know, comes in, has obviously been watching him dig for this gold. As Tom Waits says, you know, you watched me do all the work and then you shot me in the back. All pissed off, almost more pissed off at the fact that the guy watched him do the work instead of helping him <laughs> and then shot him in the back. But, um, uh, you know, he shoots him in the back, but he ends up not hitting anything. And there's a great scene of Tom Waits after Tom Waits gets the drop on this guy and ends up killing him, uh, where he goes to the water and, you know, and cleans himself off from the blood and looks and he just screams. And it's the like the most joyous scream that you can get. And it's just it's the acting is phenomenal because it's just pure joy. And he's like, you didn't hit anything important. And it's just great. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I I like this one a lot, mostly because of, of Tom Waits. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I actually couldn't disagree with you more on this one. Really? You don't like this one at all, huh? No, this was my least favorite of all the segments. Okay. Um, I mean, Tom I, Tom Waits is someone I only kind of know the name of. I know he's like a, a musician, and I, I've read I've read Wikipedia articles about him, trying to figure out who I might know him from. I don't really know him. I I, I really thought the cinematography in this was just amazing. This was probably the best of the whole thing, like just like showing like the lush green fields mm-hmm. as opposed to you know the stereotypical dried out like basinry and that sort of thing you'd see in a western. Um, the di- I mean, I understand that it's one character, so you have to have him speaking to himself, I suppose, you know, to have dialogue. It's I don't think it's one hundred percent necessary, but obviously, you know, they want something. But I thought, like the like, especially after he shoots him, like the part where he's like screaming, like you didn't hit anything that counts. It's just like just doesn't seem like something that would ever happen in you know real life. Right. Okay. However, I, as as far as detail goes, I actually noticed when when the the 
I don't know what the other bad guy's name is, the young guy that shoots him. Yeah, I, I know that's where he shot him. him. I'm like, that, I'm like, that's not, I I realized that that's not a vital area where he shot him. I mean, it's gonna hurt like hell, but it wasn't like dead center of the back or anything. It was really it could be a clean shot right through the shoulder without hitting any vital organs. It was high enough, mm-hmm. which was kind of weird that it was like so specifically like accurate. I mean, he could certainly you know bleed dry or get an infection back in that time period. But mm-hmm. I just thought that was kind of interesting that it was actually looked like a shot that he could have survived yeah yeah it, that's a, a nice bit of uh continuity obviously the coen brothers um you know they uh they are good at paying attention to detail um but yeah like like i said i can i can see i can see what you're saying although i i and i totally agree with you about the cinematography cinematography throughout the whole movie is great and you know this is just you know gorgeous as well um but yeah, I can see why people would be a little bored with this. It helps that it's not a long segment, though. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, oh, you know. By the way, I just want to play something out too. The previous segment, I just, I just meant to say this earlier, but I forgot. That would be like the perfect Twilight Zone episode, or even like a perfect, like you know, Tales from the Dark Side type episode. Yep, I agree. It's like just long enough. It's dark enough. It's just like you know, perfect, like for that sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. And I think originally they were talking about making this as a series, like a like a limited run one season anthology series, but they ended up uh turning it into cuz they've been writing apparently they've been writing these stories for about 25 years or so. Um and the only one that was actually written for the movie was the last one, uh which we'll get to in a minute. Oh, okay. But um but yeah, you know, I I wouldn't mind seeing more of these. And and like you said, some might be better than others. But uh, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, a few more like 20 to 30 minute long uh, little vignettes from the Coen brothers. But the uh, the next one is uh, the gal who got rattled. This is the longest section. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, this one's hard for me because this is probably my least favorite. Um, it's uh, It's also the other one that I think could most be turned into a um into a feature length film. It's the most romantic. It's almost uh it's almost kind of sweet in the way that things develop here. And I'll tell you one thing that they did really well is they really they had me going for a while thinking that this one was going to turn out all right. I don't yeah. know. I don't know why I thought that considering what came before it, but I just, I don't know. Like, um, you, uh, you kind of root for, for these two characters. And, um, and I really just thought like, okay, maybe this one will be, uh, you know, uh, like Zoe Kazan is, um, is fantastic. Uh, as uh, Alice Longbaugh um and and Bill Heck is great as uh Billy Knapp um in this uh and they're they're clearly the two most important characters in this one um the, going through this one real quick basically um uh Zoe Kazan plays Alice Longbaugh and her and her brother are going to Oregon on a wagon train and he uh, her brother ends up dying uh from cholera uh, not too long after they start. And she is in a bind because they were going to Oregon so that uh, her brother could uh, conduct this business. And the guy that she was doing, the guy that he was doing the business with was supposed to marry Alice, 
so she would have some kind of financial security. He promised the guy that was helping lead their their uh, wagon train. I think it was four hundred dollars, um, which both Billy Knapp, yeah, four hundred dollars, which both Billy Knapp and and uh, the his partner who uh, kind of run the wagon train say is a lot of money several times. Um, yeah, I wonder what that would be adjusted for inflation. I'm all if I could have anything like on a uh, on a. TV show or movie, it would just have an inflation adjuster. So I'm like, oh, wow, that is a lot of money, you know? Right. Um, yeah, that's got to be a ton of money from back then. I don't even know if they if we could find that or not. I'll look in a minute. But um, but anyways, and also she's kind of left with her, uh, her brother's dog, who's a Jack Russell Terrier, who anyone who's known Jack Russell Terriers uh, barks a lot and uh, is disturbing other people. And so she's got a bunch of these problems she doesn't know exactly how to deal with. She comes to Mr. Knapp, as she calls him, uh, to kind of figure out, um, you know, what to do. And um, he uh, he comes up with a solution eventually where he says that um, he could marry her. And uh, because she like she points out that uh, she doesn't know exactly if this business deal is going to like work out because her her brother was not the best, um, you know, businessman in the world and and everything like that. And um, so anyway, he says that, you know, he's been he's getting to a point where he could retire, basically, and um, and that uh he um you know would like to settle down and she there's there there's another point where and like i said this is maybe like my least favorite one but i do appreciate this acting moment where she goes oh and like the way she said like she just elongates it and everything she takes <laughs> that that word and just kind of like really encapsulates all the surprise of the question uh, you know, and she says that she'll have to think about it, and she eventually agrees. And you can see that they kind of, you know, more than just like a business arrangement or like an understanding or, you know, hey, we're doing this because we both kind of want something out of it, but it's not romantic love or anything like that. But you can see a, a bond and a relationship start to form there. So, like I said, it's it's clearly the most romantic of these and the like the sweetest of the stories, which kind of makes... The ending of it <laughs> just hurt even more. But um, what ends up happening is uh, the dog, like she, earlier she let the dog go. Well, she was going to have Mr. Knapp shoot it, but he missed and the dog ran away. And the dog kind of followed the train and, you know, was barking and she could hear it. So she went out and got it. And she, you know, got out, like she left the wagon train to do it and she's laughing, you know, like holding the thing and the um the wagon master who is not mr knapp his partner the older one he comes to find her and there's uh native americans that are gathering in the distance because you know they're gonna try to kill them and a fight ends up happening um the guy uh i think mr arthur is his name he gets hit um and pretends that he's dead uh, you know, and then ends up killing the guy. And before any of this happened, he gave her a two shot pistol and tells her that if, uh, if he, if he's wounded and it looks like he's, you know, things are going to go south, then he's going to take the gun and, and kill her and shoot himself. But if he gets killed, that she needs to shoot herself in the head because, um, 
you know, getting captured by the natives would be worse. They'd rape her, you know, torture her, kill her, and stuff like that. So when he pretends to be dead, apparently she thinks that he was dead. And as he has dispatched the rest of the engines and he comes to see her, uh, she's shot herself in the head and, and died. So, yeah, what did you think of this one, Mike? Yeah, this one, I, I could definitely, this was probably my second least favorite. Um, I mean, it was the longest and it kind of was showing that it was the longest at a certain point. It just felt like it was kind of dragging out. Yeah. I thought the dog, uh, President Pierce was what they named it for some reason. Um, right. I thought that was going to be like almost like a supernatural, like he shot on me, came back sort of thing, but that's not how it played out. I mean, there's really, I mean, aside from the very first segment, there's not really anything like supernatural in this, as far as I could tell. Mm. Well, with the possible exception of the last one. Right. Um, but yeah, I thought it was all right. And I, I just felt it was a little quick that she shot herself. I mean, like the guy pretended he was dead for like 10 seconds, literally 10 seconds. And she's just, all right, I'm out of this. You know, I mean, she. She just, you'd think she would like not be courageous enough to instantly shoot herself in the head. Right. Yeah, I agree. It's a little, um, and I don't know if they're trying to make a point because they talk about a religion a lot in this one, um, more than they do in the other ones. Um, and I don't know if they're trying to make a point about like strict adherence to doctrine and stuff like that, because she does exactly what he tells her to do almost without thinking about it. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously she jumps the gun on that. And I don't know if they're trying to make a point in that way or not. I, I thought what was going to happen was I thought that Mr. Arthur was going to kill her. I thought that when he found her away from the wagon train in order to keep uh, Mr. Knapp with him, because Mr. Knapp mentioned several times that he doesn't want to leave the old guy um, because, you know, they've been working together for so long and they're a successful partnership and everything, but he does want to settle down and start to have kids. Um, I, uh, I thought that he was going to kill her in order to, and make it look like an accident or something in order to keep Mr. Knapp. And I don't know. I mean, I think I almost would have liked that better, I guess. I mean, it would have been, it would have, I think it would have fit pretty well with, I think would have fit better with the rest yeah. of, with the rest of the stories and kind of the cruelness of people to one another. But yeah, I think I feel like they were probably trying to make a point about indoctrination and and, and you know following dogma to like uh, like a very strict degree. Yeah, I could see that too. I mean, it, and the choreography with this was really like the uh, the battle between the Native Americans. That's the word I use for them. <laughs> engine or whatever what you were saying earlier and uh you know the uh the old guy whose name i already forgot uh that was a really a really impressive like i actually was shocked when the one uh the horse rode up to him and surprised there was a native american mm-hmm. behind it who swung over and like hit him with a tomahawk or whatever it was right yeah i mean it was really good choreography but just like it was kind of i don't know it was not really my cup of tea i guess as far as like the story goes i'm not a big romantic movie type uh, fan which would shock every uh, person who listens to this <laughs> um but i mean it was it was getting kind of boring it was interesting that you know it took them forever to even say their first names like oh what's your christian name like they literally didn't know it until like about halfway or if not three quarters of the way through the segment mm-hmm. i think that's probably accurate to the time i would say yeah i wouldn't be shocked i just thought it was kind of interesting and then uh like i said i thought there'd be something weird i thought there'd definitely be something going on with that dog over there yeah. Uh, but that didn't seem to happen. So, yeah, it was okay. I mean, it's 
I mean, if I had to rewatch two or three of the six segments again, that wouldn't be on a list. Yeah, I agree. Um, so then we get to the final one, which is the mortal remains. Um, which is, as you pointed out, or as you said, and I agree with you, this is if this might be my absolute favorite one. Um, but uh, it's definitely between the first and the last one. Yeah, I think this is the best one for sure. I know you uh, you thought the the Tom Waits one was. I mean, I can see you know that you know obviously not everyone has the same favorite one. No, I'm, I, I mean uh, the... I mean I said meal ticket might be the best one as far as uh, like, you're right. My apologies. Like yeah. objectively. From a filmmaking yeah. standpoint, yeah, that one is like very cons- that one's like almost perfectly done. Like it's super concise. You know, there's not a wasted frame or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, the mortal remains. This is my favorite for sure. Yep. Um, I, I like this, but I like I like the very opening bell out of Buster Shrugs. Is that one's just fun to watch? It's like almost, like I said, it's it's literally like watching a cartoon with light. I've never seen anything close to representing a cartoon. Obviously, very inappropriate for children. Uh, cartoon <laughs> right. in that segment. It's just like wow. It's you can almost see like his eyes bulging out, you know, if he gets, you know, hit in the back of the head. That's how like cartoonish and perfectly done it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in this one, uh, the mortal remains. It's a, a group of what is it? Five people. Yeah, five people. Yeah, five people. Uh, five strangers. They're in search of an exit. <laughs> right. Um, no, they're on a uh, stagecoach going uh, to Fort Morgan. I believe it's called. That's correct. Um, two of the men, a uh, Englishman and a uh, Irishman, mm-hmm. if you can imagine such a thing, <laughs> they seem to be traveling together, and they say they're they're often travel this route ferrying cargo, and right. uh, they kind of reference a corpse that's wrapped up on top of the roof. They don't really go into why they're doing that, but so you know that's just kind of like their little piece. And then the trapper goes on and on about how he was with a Native American woman, and he's like, you know, it's really odd, like it's really weird the way he describes it. Mm-hmm. He like basically says they only communicated via facial expressions because he didn't even bother learning her language. Yep. Yeah, and he lived with this woman, too. Yeah, and then he basically says they're just like animals. I think he kept saying ferret was the one he really, yep. you know, he used. said people are just like ferrets. And then uh, his uh, the there's an older woman on. Her name's Mrs. Betjeman, I think, something like that. Yeah, played by um, Tyne Daly. Yeah, I'm not sure who that is. She was very good, the actress who played her, or actor. Maybe that's the appropriate term these days. I don't know. Who cares? Um, but she uh, she was really good. Yeah, I don't care. I'm just pretending, <laughs> you know, in case uh, Hollywood comes calling. We know uh, which politically correct when they're taking it out of fair. Right. No, nah, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, um, she's a really good actress, actor, as I like to say. Um, but then she's immediately, you know, all up everyone's asshole about like, oh, my husband, blah, blah, blah. He's like this traveling lecturer who's like a, who's into moral hygiene. Not the way that Mark's into moral hygiene, <laughs> but, you know, more like a, a religious betterment of yourself, almost like a self-help guru of the time. Yep. Do you think it's kind of interesting? Because out of the six stories, they have two, uh, I, I could be missing it. No, I think it's at least two uh, that are just like almost like a traveling, like, you know, like a. Traveling salesman slash snake oil man slash you know like basically like almost like the stand up comedian slash entertainment of the day, which is just like a person that travels and like they used to at least if a movie Tombstone is accurate, which I assume it is because it's a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they would go and put plays on. And it's you know obviously without the advent of television or you know the internet that sort of thing, there'd be a lot of traveling like vaudevillian type things where. They take these acts, and these are like weird acts. Like uh, this, I mean, who like you? You're paying somebody to lecture on like you know moral hygiene. I mean, that's obviously not everyone's cup of tea. Mm-hmm. 
and then like we have you know the the guy who can recite you know perfectly you know and with like you know perfect tone of voice um you know shakespeare and that sort of thing which you know today no one would watch any either of those things whatsoever right uh, unless kirk cameron was telling you about his moral hygiene and uh, <laughs> how you can't have uh, playboy actresses on set because it'll ruin your morals right or like um, uh you know bible man Willie Ames. Willie Ames seems okay, though. I don't know if he's really. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he just did that for the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me either, actually. Classic Buddy Lindbeck. Uh, I wonder if him and Scott Bear are still friends. I don't know. Probably not. I'm sure we could probably get a hold of him and ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think if we ever did interviews, we could probably get Willie Ames. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I'm way off track now. But no, yeah, okay. uh, anyways, um, so her, and then like her, in this, uh, this Frenchman, as Frenchmen are prone to do, mm-hmm. immediately starts just like shitting all over her. He's saying, you know, like, <laughs> oh, your husband, if he's this big charismatic guy, what does he want to do with you? Right. Because they've been separated for like a while, and he's like, uh, she had lived with her, uh, her daughter and her steps, yep. her son in law. Three he's years. Like, yeah. And he's like, come on, they don't want to, uh, they don't want you there. Do you think they really want, he's basically just like, you know, undermining everything she has and have like this really, you know, big philosophical argument about, you know, and that it wasn't, this actually kind of almost ties this segment to the first one is the Frenchman very specifically goes into playing a, 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 a car, a hand of cards. Yep. That was dealt to someone else. Cause I don't think we mentioned this, but in the very first one on Buster Scruggs before he kicks that board and like makes guys shoot himself mm-hmm. in the head, he goes and picks up a game of cards where a guy's just leaving. Is that the same actor? I don't think it is, but he looks sim- similar to him for some reason. Oh, I'd have to go back and look at it again. I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. Um, but anyways, uh, so but what Buster Scruggs picks up is the classic dead man's hand, aces and eights, and I don't know if yep. the other cards a specific one or just aces and eights. Just black for, aces and eights. Yep. Yeah, for the classic, which is what Bi- Wild Bill Hickok, you know, supposedly he had when he was killed and. And th- th- that might be anachronistic because I imagine Wild Bill Hickok was actually after this, yeah, you know, time frame wise. But re- regardless, you know, I don't know that that story's true anyway. Yeah, I'm, I don't know, probably not. But it's, uh, I think that's actually in the mo- in the show. Um, what's that? Deadwood. That mm-hmm. I don't. I've never seen all of it. I heard it's good. I haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, so like he's basically he goes on and on about like, oh, you can't play someone else's hand. You might play it incorrectly and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then the Irishman just busts into like a uh, you know bittersweet song, just like kind of like you know regales the rest of the group, you know about yep. like uh, how you know. And then everyone just kind of like calms down. And then like his friend, the Englishman, just goes, "Ah, I can't help but cry every time that happens." And then they uh, just casually uh, explain how they're uh, bounty hunters and how yep. they uh, killed the person that's on top of the um, of the carriage. And that uh, you know they just like he's like, "Oh yeah, this guy distracts them," and I go around and I just smash her heads in and all that. Something about the, the travel, you know, from, from this world to the next. I, I can't help but watch it. It's just so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then that, I think, has led some people to believe that this actually whole thing is just a euphemism for, like, those two are, like, actually taking the three other passengers yep. from the life to death. And then when they get to the hotel itself, like, no one really wants to get off of it because they, they're bringing the corpse inside the hotel with them for some reason. Yep. And then they're just like cheerfully picking it up and just walking inside. And then no one wants to go, like, oh, ladies first. She's like, oh, but someone has to help me down. So eventually the three remaining passengers get down and they go to the hotel. When they open the hotel, it just seems to be completely empty. From yep. what you can tell. And there's like a long, you know, passageway with stairs. 
So, yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, especially just like, you know, I, I, as we've said before, I said before, I'm a big sucker for the philosophical argument, especially in a movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that flying back and forth here. There's, you know, the old, like, you know, this person who doesn't expect anyone to be, you know, she thinks she's beyond reproach, but then this Frenchman just, like, just takes her down a peg and then, you know, just puts all this doubt in her eyes. And then, like, these other guys, oh, yeah, we're, we happen to be bounty hunters. It's like just like another, you know, wrench in there it's just I, I thought it was really interesting because how complicated it was yeah i think um i i'm gonna have to watch it a few more times obviously before i like finalize my decision but um when i first watched it i was um you know i was pretty convinced that like you know these guys are the quote-unquote ferrymen from uh the living world's to the dead world and the cinematography kind of bears all that out with everything is very uh ethereal it's very um like everything's kind of dark and it just doesn't feel exactly real especially when they get to the hotel um and uh and get out and everything and like you said you know they open the hotel doors and it looks you know desolate they're like it looks like no one's there besides them and um and the the coach you know rides away and stuff there's a a point where she um mrs benjamin uh you know is having some sort of attack and um and they want the coach to stop and the two bounty hunters say oh he never stops like he he's not he's not going to stop um, right right and so you know all this stuff kind of leads me to believe that that's the you know the intention is that these three um, you know, have died and they're having a, a very philosophical conversation about the nature of humanity and the nature of morals, whether people are animalistic and, you know, just like ferrets, as the trapper says, whether people, uh, you know, are broken up into two groups, those who are moral and those who are immoral, um, like Mrs. Benjamin thinks, or whether it's, uh, you know, complex. Every person is their own uh, kind of individual, as the Frenchman suggests. And, you know, at first watching this, I said, I think that they're kind of being judged as, like, wrong. Like, where they're going, I don't think is heaven. You know, like, not, it's certainly not um, the type of heaven that we thought about in the Buster Scruggs one as he's flying away like an angel, the more quote unquote traditional, uh, you know, type of heaven. I, I don't think that's where they're headed. And, um, and it seems like they've been judged as, as wrong as none of their, um, answers are, are correct. Um, and, uh, so that's kind of the first, you know, blush that I had on it. When I watched it the second time, I thought more to myself, I still think that it's the, you know, they're going from life to death, but I don't know that they're necessarily being even judged yet, um, that this might be more of like a way station kind, not necessarily like a purgatory, but like a, a, um, like a waiting place to be, 
you know, judge. That body that they're bringing throws me off every time, though, because it's like, is that just window dressing? Because if that guy's dead and this is the afterlife, he should now be animated like like the rest of them. But as they're carrying him up the stairs, you see like a light, you know, and it's it's not just like lamplight. It's 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 an almost, you know, uh, supernaturalish type of light. Um, sure. So. You know, I, is that the the judgment place? You know, like I I don't know. Um, so I, I need to watch this one a few more times to uh, to fully kind of get my head around exactly everything that I think that it is. But this is definitely, yeah, like you said, I, I'm. It's either the first one or this one, but this one really, and this one's very much Twilight Zoney or or something like that. And I love uh, those kind of stories. And this one really. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. This, I mean, really, you could say any of them could be like. I mean, some are obviously too short, like lengthwise, to actually be a mm-hmm. episode of the Twilight Zone. But yeah, it's certainly any of these are. You know, some are better than others. But I, yeah, I absolutely love this one. I loved the atmosphere of it. I loved the feel of it. The acting, it was uh, outstanding and, and a great way to close it. And the other two thing too, I think the Frenchman pauses at the door. You know, the hotel doors are open. He looks back at the uh, coachman who's riding away. He looks into the hotel where they're carrying this body. And there's a real decision point there. He decides, okay, I'm going into this hotel. Almost like deciding, okay, my mortal life is over. And now I'm going into whatever's next, you know, kind of thing. Um and uh, he really like that. The acting of that that small bit is so good because you really see the decision on his face, and it adds a lot of weight to what's going on. Oh yeah, I mean the acting in this throughout the entire uh, thing, it's it's good. Even though I like I said the dialogue and the gold miner one, I thought was kind of ridiculous. I mean, it was just like it, it was almost similar in a sense to uh, Dirty Work. <laughs> and they're describing what happens off camera. Right. Okay, I can like, see so, that. You know, spe- I mean, it's just so specifically, like, why would you describe to, you know, say out loud to no one at that point? Right. Like, it just To me, it just is, seems ridiculous. But as as opposed to Dirty Work, which was probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my whole life at a movie theater. Now he's, just- now he's grabbed the chainsaw and he's <laughs> killing me with it. <laughs> uh, that is awesome. Yeah, but this, I mean, it just kind of seems similar, but it's like, yeah, I, I, I'm not, you know, in this weird bubble of disbelief that uh, Norm and our already have sucked me into, so it's like, I don't understand why you do that. Right. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I get that. But, yeah. He's, he's just so specific. He's like, I was shot, but I wasn't shot in the vital area, so I'm still alive. <laughs> yeah, okay, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Oh, so you're a medical doctor out there digging holes by a river? <laughs> right. Like you said, I mean, I I thought of this the second time I watched it. I was like, you know, he could still easily die. Like, even if he makes it to a town, the medicine of the time could easily kill him. You know, it's like they're they're not going to check for infection or anything. Like, they're going to go rooting around there with their own hands and and end up giving him an infection. Yeah. It's like whenever, whenever I watch, like, Game of Thrones, you said you don't watch that, right? Not yet, no. You should probably start watching that. Yeah, I know. I got to catch up to you. <laughs> but every time I watch it, I'm always like, whenever someone gets hit with like a blade, I'm like, oh, they're dead. I mean, yeah, they run off, but they're going to surely get an infection and die. Right. 
I always wonder, like, ah, when's the last time that guy took a bath? He's been out in the woods for two weeks uh, wearing heavy, you know, leather armor. I, I don't think uh, you would have trouble s- smelling him coming. <laughs> right. But, yeah, overall, um, you know, I uh, we don't really do ratings here, um, you know, as listeners know. Uh, but I, I definitely think it's worth checking out for anybody. I would recommend it to uh, to anybody. There, there are going to be stories that you like more than other stories. Um, but I think what's good in this is really good. Um, and what's bad is not horrific. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not super terrible. You don't, I mean, again, I'm judging it by standards of Cohen movies, not, you know, like fucking dumbass Marvel movies that, you know, right. (laughs) Like a chicken, like a chicken doing math. Yeah. Yeah. Not like a (laughs) chicken. I know you like even though you said we don't really rate things in here on a scale of one to ten, I'd probably give this like an eight, maybe like an eight and eight point two, not quite an eight and a half. I mean, overall the consistency is I mean, the ones I don't like, I really don't like. Right. But I mean, they're still like sevens, you know, they're not like threes or anything like Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's I think that's definitely fair. Um it's you know, like you said, if we're judging it as a Cohen Brothers film you know, there's going to be a lot of movies that are above it because the Coen Brothers have done a lot of great movies. Um, but Do you if know they worked on uh, Evil Dead. No, I didn't know that. I knew they knew yeah. Sam Raimi, but I didn't know that they uh, worked on that. Yeah, I don't know if it's uncredited or not, but they did like I think they did editing on the first Evil Dead movie. Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, because I know they've done some things together. Um, you know, uh, after that. But they're they're outstanding. I love them, and we should definitely, uh, you know, we've done Kevin Smith. We should do Quentin Tarantino, and we should do um, the Coen Adam Brothers. Sandler. <laughs> Adam Sandler's made a lot of movies. I don't know if I want to watch all of them. Yeah, I, I don't think I want to watch most of them. Ugh. Another uh, director I, I really don't want to watch any movies of is uh, Rob Zombie. Oh God! Yes, I agree. I could with you go on that. for an hour about how much I hate Rob Zombie's movies. So terrible! Oh, the just the Halloween remakes alone. Ugh. At least see, he's got his wife in all of them. She's a great actress, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you can have your wife in the movies, have her take her top off and stuff. It's great. Oh God, Rob Zombie! Rob Zombie should I not wish- be making films. <laughs> I wish he would stop making terrible movies and go back to his true love, making terrible music. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Yeah, I don't I, I haven't liked anything Rob Zombie has done, but you know, I mean, I guess in fairness he probably hasn't liked anything we've done. I don't know, we put a fucking uh, Looney Tune character in there, you probably like it. That's true. Or we say fuck a lot, because he seems to enjoy that. Maybe if we had 15,000 pumpkins in our podcast, we wouldn't even have to say anything. Just he would know they were there. Maybe we should do a terrible remake of a classic horror film. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh, that's awesome, guys. Well, that, that's what you would say. That is our episode for today. A uh, little bit longer one than normal, but, uh, you know, that's okay. You guys can deal with it. Uh, <laughs> quantity, not quality. That's right. We're putting out hours here, guys. Um, multiple hours for you to listen to. If you have any cruel stories of Dave Collier since we're in the Metro Detroit area, go ahead and send them in. Absolutely. I will take any Dave Collier story that you have. We call this segment, though, Grave Collier, so we can include <laughs> uh, disastrous uh encounters with them or just uh morbid things he said right 
Uh, yeah, send those to uh, massivelatefee at gmail.com if you have any stories. If you have anything else you want to say, you want to write us a letter or whatever, uh, I haven't checked it in a long time. I don't know if anyone sent anything, uh, but I will check it, I promise, before the next episode. If you want to write us a letter, scan it and then email it to us. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Email us at mass- massivelatefee at gmail.com. If you're looking for us uh, on uh, Twitter... You can find us at Massive Late Fee, Massive Late Fee on Facebook, um, our Patreon if you want to um, if you want to support the show and uh, donate a dollar or, or something like that. Uh, you know, any amount of money that uh, you won't you won't mind uh, losing <laughs> for almost You're just nothing. Gonna waste. What are you going to do with that money, anyways? Huh? That's true. That's true. You, you know that you've got a dollar that you can spare. Um, so you can go to our panhandling site, uh, Patreon at MassiveLatefee.com. I'll link all this below, obviously. Uh, you can find our audio commentaries on our Patreon, uh, and you can also find them at Bandcamp.com. Expect a future contest to have a uh, cross-country road trip with, uh, that guy we were talking about earlier, whose name I forget. (laughs) Which one? (laughs) Oh, 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 Ernest Klein? Yes. <laughs> how many how many pop culture references can you make in a cross country road trip with Ernest Klein? <laughs> oh, but uh, Ooh, Illinois. I, am, I remember Illinois. <laughs> Let's go stop by Sherman, Illinois. <laughs> um, and uh, what else? What else do we do? Um, you can find us. Uh, yeah, our Patreon, our Bandcamp, email, Twitter. Oh, we're having a contest too. Um, so for those of you who don't know, we're giving away a hundred dollar Amazon gift card to one lucky winner on January 10th. Um, you can find details on our Twitter at massive late fee. Uh, and you can find out how to enter there. There's a, uh, a tweet that, uh, you know, you, I'll, uh, I- I'm going to retweet that soon too. Uh, to, uh, you know, get more people in the know about it. But, uh, yeah, that is our show for tonight. Uh, next week we will talk about something else fun. I'm not sure exactly what yet, although I have a couple ideas I need to run by Mike uh, before I announce anything because that's how it goes. I don't uh, ambush my co-host here. But, uh, anyway, so uh, have a great night, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye. See you next time. BJ's Rules. <laughs>